Here we go. Season 7. If you missed it, here's what we believe. 66 book canon. We believe in a 66 book canon. There is no more. There is no less. It's 66 books. That Yeshua, who is preached by the apostles in the Gospels and in the epistles, is the only means of salvation, as we would call him Yeshua, means. In other words, justification is by faith alone and not by works that any man should boast. Faith working through love. We are unashamedly Trinitarian. We're also unashamedly uh, doctor, believe in the doctrines of grace, what is commonly referred to as Calvinistic. The, the new covenant is not time bound. That is to say that the, the horizon of the faith of our father Abraham is no different. Right. No, no, it is not shy of the horizon of our hope and our faith. In other words, the, that the salvation was salvation was the same for Abraham as it is for us. Right. Wednesday, November 4th, 2020. This is Messiah Matters, number 320. I'm always amused by people. My name is Caleb Hegg. Always saddened by the way our country is, is voting. I'm Rob Bell. Hmm. You got me there. I was in the groove of the 16th note. Groove there. Okay. Hey, well, what's up? It's November 4th. Does that mean we can quit wearing masks now or what? Um, I sure hope so. So if you don't live in the good old US of A, wow, I'm really loud, uh, then uh, you might not know that we had an election. Actually, I think the whole world knows that we had an election. And uh, I think that there was a lot of uh, a lot of people up late watching stuff. I was not one of those people. I went to bed at a normal time because I don't care. Um, okay, uh, but we're not about to talk about the election. In fact, we're going to talk about election. <laughs> I got a quote from it says, uh, "If you're a Calvinist, every day, day is election, election day." day. Or exactly. Something like that. I That's think that right. was funny. That is exactly right. Every day is an election election day so, here. Well, I have a question for you, and I can't because I can't. I probably have asked people before, but I don't remember the answer. How does someone who's of an Armenian persuasion mm-hmm. answer how do they explain the when the bible talks about the elect yeah that's a really like, good... like when yeshua says you know um if the days were not shortened even the elect would not be able to stand you know yeah I, I, a lot of people especially within the hebrew roots movement try to to say that that is uh election on a national level now i i grant in fact there's some video going around by uh, Dr. Michael Heiser right now, it's been plastered all over Facebook and all over Twitter and whatnot. I don't know why people keep sharing this stuff, but anyway, he, he makes the art, he makes some argument about election, which is clearly wrong. And the reason why is because yes, uh, Israel is elect on a national level, right? They were elected to have the, the covenants. They were elected to be given the the commandments of God and to take that to the, the other nations. That is the election of Israel. However, throughout the scriptures and throughout all of the Torah, what we see is that election on the national level is a prophecy of individual election. And we see this in Isaac. We see this in Jacob. We see this in the Exodus from Egypt. We see this in the temple service. We see this in Yom Kippur. We see it in Paul. Paul says he loved me and gave himself for me. Yeah, it's all over the place. And and so the idea that... Like God separated me right. from my mother's womb. That's Paul. That's post, post-resurrection, post-ascension, right? Post-Pentecost. Right. And so the idea that, that uh, when the Bible speaks of election, it's only speaking on a national level. This is how... 
this is how the Armenian view, the the Wesleyan view, uh, uh, tries to do away with, uh, t- tries to not do away, tries to deal with Romans nine. Is that oh, it's all talking about national, uh, which is interesting because um, the, the the representation of Pharaoh in that passage, Pharaoh did not represent the nation. The nation wanted Israel to leave. Even his top advisors, even Pharaoh's top advisors say, it's enough, just let them go. Just let them go. And what does Pharaoh do? No, Pharaoh, individual, not the nation of Egypt, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And so the idea that this is talking about a national a national level of things and that Pharaoh represents the nation, it, it just doesn't, I mean, and R.C. Sproul just nails this to the wall. It's not, it doesn't fit with the text. So, um, and each one of the each one of the examples in in Romans nine is of individuals doing things that uh, that God, you know, Jacob and Esau, um, and Pharaoh Pharaoh's heart being it's individuals. It's not about nations. And uh, so, yeah. Anyway, I I this is one of the reasons that after thirty one years of be of holding to Arminian theology, I became a Calvinist. Is because it doesn't. It does not line up biblically. It just doesn't. It's not a biblical doctrine. Now, I will admit that I think that uh, the reformers probably had it more on the ball than today's Calvinists do in terms of what I, I think a lot of people call hyper um, hyper Calvinism. And I think that even mainstream Calvinism has somewhat moved into the idea of of that. Um, and we could talk more about that at some point. But, uh, yeah, anyway, okay, well, that wasn't on the docket, but good conversation. Be a part of the conversation, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. You can also shoot us email, chagatorresource.com. Don't forget to slap like now and subscribe to our uh, YouTube channel. It helps us out a lot. And for those who don't get that, I got a lot of, uh, not a lot, we had about five or six people uh, write in and mention that I made a Davy 504 reference. Uh, yes, I did. I I enjoy Davy 504. Uh, anyone who can uh, slap at a base is uh, good in my book. Um, okay, so since we just gave our phone number, which once again is 253-465-3205, let's go to a... Um, let's go to this one first. My first question... By the way, this is Matt in Michigan. Matt in Michigan... I love it. My first question is for you guys, you've got different instances where it seems that people are living Torah lifestyles prior to Sinai. So you've got Noah knows which animals are clean and unclean. You've got Cain and Abel knowing what an appropriate sacrifice looks like. You've got um, Rachel knowing that she's unclean and she's hiding um was it the idols from Laban while she's sitting on the camel? Do you believe the Torah was there at the beginning and that it was taught to Adam? Now, I should mention before we jump into this, Matt from Michigan left a four minute and 30 second message, which I love because he was able to hash out his ideas. However, I have now taken uh, two clips from Matt from Michigan and I have condensed them into very small and I even edited a little bit in between just to try to to sure up his his thought patterns so that we had a you know could listen to it in under a minute um do you want to start with this or do you want me to yeah uh, sure sure thanks again Matt for the awesome voicemail and uh you're you're uh, obviously fluent with the problem because you're quickly you know you're able to cite all these perfect examples, you know, Cain and Abel offering, um, you know, they're obviously, you know, understand something about sacrifice and worship. And to zoom in on that one bit is that, that obviously God accepts one and rejects another on some sort of basis. You're right to point out Noah offering burnt offerings. How did he know how to do a burnt offering? How did he know what animals were clean versus unclean? Um, one, one footnote on that is that it's, we, we're not introduced to the word tame yet there. It's just lo tahor. It's, it's not clean literally in the, in the Hebrew, but, um, exactly. So, so this is, this is really awesome. And what's difficult is we, 
we have to accept on faith that though, just like Hebrews 11 says, that these walked by faith, that they they had relationship with God. They walked before God, right? It's just like it says, Enoch walked with God. Noah walked with God. You know, and what does he tell Abram? Walk before me, right? Be, uh, be And be tamim. How did, how did Abraham know what it meant? I think that's uh, Genesis 17, maybe. Uh, be tamim. How did no back to back to Genesis twelve, which was last week's Torah portion in the uh, Lake Lecha, in uh, in the one year cycle? It's uh, and be a blessing. You be a blessing. How did how did Abraham know what it meant to be a blessing in the world? Right. I mean, there's a lot of things like this that that we wonder, and and then we wonder what was the indwelling. You know, we have other people asking about the Ruach Hakodesh, the the indwelling of the spirit in these believers. If I have to take on faith that when Genesis 15 says, and, and Abram believed in the Lord and he credited him, it was credited him as righteousness, that that was genuine faith, right? The scripture is testif- the Torah is testifying of Abraham's faith. That means testifying of his proper and right relationship with the creator of the universe, which is, amazing and that's and that's impossible without the the regeneration of the holy spirit because of sin sin is already in the world in these times so it's tough for us we're not given as much information as we would like because clearly someone's going to say the torah isn't revealed until sinai because we'll put a timeline on it and you know the rabbis have the same issue before the rabbinic movement, even back in the second century BC with the book of Jubilees, there's a, a Jewish sectarian group that's wrestling with this idea and they're projecting, they're taking the Jubilee idea of the 70 year cycle and push and saying that must have been all the way from creation. And they want to retell the story from creation of app from the creation of the world and Adam and Eve, all the way up to the Exodus from Egypt in terms of Jubilee cycles. And they're also going to say Noah kept uh, Shavuot, right? Right. Abraham kept uh, Sukkot, right? All these kinds of things, because they are saying that Torah was revealed to right. from the beginning. But while they, they hold on to that idea, the, the strange thing is, why does Jubilees end up with a solar calendar and, <laughs> and a fixed date for Pentecost? And why does Jubilees want to say that? The angels taught Abraham Hebrew, right? All this kind of stuff that he's like, you know what? It starts sounding really fantastic, you know, and then and greatly expands the Enochic story of of fallen angels coming down and mating with women and having giants that then war with each other and all this kind of stuff. Like it's like, what's going on here? And what it is, it's a one aspect is the Hellenistic environment uh, for one, where there's stories of gods mating with with human humans and having giants and stuff like this. But um, it's it's a great question. We're limited on what has been revealed to us in writing. But by faith, we must affirm, just like Hebrews 11, just to come back full circle, that these that when it says they walked by faith, they were a pleasing to God. Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. And the question is, is faith a gift from God? And does the Holy Spirit have to do with faith in a, in a believer? Or can a person have faith but not have the Holy Spirit, right? My position is that genuine faith that's recognized as real, a real relationship with God, is impossible for man unless he's born from above. Like when Yeshua says, you can't even see the kingdom unless you're born from above. You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you're first born, born again, born from above. And that is the regeneration of the, according to the the gift of the Holy Spirit, and and faith, is is after that, not before. Faith is not a work. In other words, faith is not something we do, and then God decides whether He's going to give us the, the Holy Spirit. For example, rather right. the faith is or, or the Holy Spirit is a seal for the elect. He's given it the arabon as the word, so uh, the pledge or the down payment, as it says in like Ephesians. So um, anyway, I'll, I'll stop there. I think that, I, I mean, my answer would be yes. I think that, that uh, God gives Adam and uh, the those 
you know, I, I think that God gives Adam and um, and those who follow some form of the Torah. And I think it's probably more than people actually expect that he gives them. But with that being said, I cannot get my, uh, my, my headphones up enough here. Sorry. Uh, with that being said, I don't know how much of it was actually given. But I think that some of it certainly was given, if that makes any sense. Well, and here's an example. is the Shabbat, right? I mean, we read Genesis 1, and we finish Genesis 1 and into Genesis 2, and it says he created in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. Right. And he set apart the seventh day as holy. Right. So we know that the Shabbat was there from creation. We know that in the Ten Commandments, right. it says... And you will, you know, because the Lord made it in six days, the, the creation reference, the, you know, Genesis one, in other words, is kind of encapsulated in the Sabbath commandment. Right. And so Israel's what's being revealed to Israel at that time in the wilderness yep. is not new information in terms of creation history. Sure. But it, it does seem to be uh, part of an important, you know, community covenant basis, you know, the, the law for the new people that, you know, for whatever reason, God had, God didn't create Israel until he did, you know, it, there's a timeline here involved. So I mean, no matter what we're speculating at this point. So, right. Yeah. But, but Rob already uh, uh, touched on Jesse Bass, his question from last week, and we'll jump into this. If you remember last week, we had the whole discussion of whether his name was pronounced bass or bass. Anyway, um, so he said... I think he said like the fish. Is that He the said one? like the fish, but we decided that it was bass, like slap it at bass. Anyway, um, okay, so Jesse, Jesse asked last time, can you guys speak a little more about the spirit indwelling people prior to Yeshua? I know a lot of people who try to say that uh, that didn't happen until Yeshua, which isn't correct. Okay, it's not correct for multiple reasons. First of all, John the Baptist is filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, and that's prior to, to Acts 2 in the coming of the Spirit. We also have people in the uh, Tanakh filled with the Holy Spirit. Bezalel, for instance, in Exodus 31, 2 through 3, is filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, and he's filled with, the, people are going to argue, yeah, he's filled with the Holy Spirit in order to uh, accomplish the work of creating the tabernacle. Actually, I believe, and I argue in my uh, commentary, which will be released, Lord willing, at some point in the future, who knows, um, that, uh, and my father has argued this as well, by the way, um, that uh, the, in, in, actually, in his, let's, let's plug Torah resource here for a second, in his five-part teaching, The Holy Spirit, His Person and Work, which is a five-part DVD series on uh, the Holy Spirit, my father has an entire, uh, an entire lecture, I think it's about an hour long, on did the Holy Spirit indwell believers before Acts 2. And so I'd encourage you to go check that out. Um, you can, you can, I think you can buy just that individual uh, teaching on TorahResource.com, just that specific lecture. You can buy that specific lecture. Anyway, with that being said, um, as Rob already said, we, we think of Abraham, we listen to, a we see Abraham as the model of salvation by faith. In Romans 8, 9, Paul tells us, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And now this gets into our uh, discussion that we've had for the past several weeks on whether or not God has multiple ways of salvation. If the answer is no, which Rob and I strongly argue for, that there is that there's only one way of salvation throughout history, so Abraham was was saved the same way that we are saved, then for for Abraham to have the spirit of Christ, to be in Christ and have the spirit of Christ, means that he has to have the Holy Spirit. You cannot be saved unless you have the Holy Spirit. A person who is saved has the Holy Spirit, and they're indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And so this will go to the, automatically people will go to, okay, what about Acts 2? Once again, I believe that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in before the, the, uh, before the indwelling of Acts 2 and at Acts 2 and after Acts 2, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is always given, the Spirit is given for a specific purpose. In Acts 2, it's given so that those people can go and take the gospel to the nations. That's what the Spirit is given for 
in Acts 2. That doesn't mean that they didn't have the Spirit prior to Acts 2. They were indwelled with the Holy Spirit. However, the Spirit comes in and indwells them for a specific purpose, and that is to accomplish taking the spirit, the gospel to the nations. That's what I believe. Here, here's Yeah, yeah. And back to, just because it's fresh on the mind, from last week's Torah portion, Lech Lecha, the Haftarah, traditional Haftarah, which is a beautiful compliment, complimentary bit from Isaiah 40 and 41, uh, just to read Isaiah 41, verse 8, V'ata Yisrael avdi Yaakov asher b'charticha zera Avraham ohavi. What that is. And now you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, Baharticha, right? And then it says, Zerah Avraham Ohavi, offspring of seed of Abraham, who loves me. Why would God, God of the creator of universe is saying, Abraham loves me. Okay, well, that means he must, you know, the greatest commandment. Well, how could Abraham keep the greatest commandment if it wasn't revealed? If you know, how can you the Shema? That? The Shema was the Shema revealed yet? And this goes back to our discussion that happened a long time ago, which we got a lot of flack for on whether or not um, you can please God outside of Christ. In other words, this goes back to the conversation of can a uh, non-believing Jew please God in Torah observance? And the answer is no. Only through Christ can you please God. You could have you could have the best outward, you could have the best talit, <laughs> you know, and the best the siddur, your, you know, your, with your all the ZT prayers. Could be tied in the exact way that God wants them tied. It's not going to make a bit of difference. You could you have perfect have Hebrew. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, so in in other words, outside of outside of faith in the Messiah, all of our works are like filthy. Rags. The only thing that makes our works good works is when they are done through faith in Christ. Now, I, I know what the argument is, and yes, people can do good as we see it on this earth. In other words, a non-believing person can love their, their child. However, I've also argued in other places that true love always pushes someone towards Christ. So in other words... You can't really love someone unless you're pushing them towards Christ. But I mean, a, a person can go and help, you know, somebody falls on the street and, and hurts themselves. A non-believing person can go and pick them up and help them. And that's, that's a good thing to do. But it doesn't make you righteous. It doesn't, in, in God's eyes, it doesn't make you a good person, quote unquote. I, and we hear this a lot. Oh, but you know, I'm a good person. Or what do you think it, what do you think it takes? Uh, Ray Comfort does this a lot. What do you think it takes to get into heaven? Oh, well, I'm a good person, right? This is the main answer he gets. I'm a good person. I do good things. That is not cutting it at all. Um, so anyway, okay. Um, and, uh, Okay. In the in the comment section, sorry, I'm reading a comment. He, uh, we have, how does righteousness come into play? Abraham and Noah were righteous. Yeah, they were righteous. How were they righteous, though? Once we are justified, once we are declared right, then sanctification, then good works, quote unquote, our works become good because we are now right. We are righteous through Christ's blood. The works that we do through faith in Christ now are seen as good works. Okay, let's keep going, shall we? Pierce writes and says, thank you so much for answering. And this was the one that we did on the canon. Uh, so uh, whether or not, like, how do you know the 66 book canon um, is closed? And so Pierce writes, oh, right, writes right. back to us and says, thank you for answering. It seems that you've well established the case for a scriptural canon. After all, the Torah demands that we listen to the prophets. So we need to we need a way to discern legitimacy among the prophets. You did not, however, give any biblical reasons for a closed canon. Certainly, you established the need for a canon, but didn't really explain why you believe it is closed outside of explaining your own belief that it is in fact closed. I appreciate hearing your thoughts. Yeah. This goes back to the idea, and I mean, you're not going to find in the Bible an X, Y, Z of this is how the, the biblical canon must be established. However, with that said, 
Uh, if we look at the model of the Torah, Moses spoke with the Almighty God face-to-face as a friend speaks to, to a friend, right? Exodus 33. And God told him how to govern and what to say to the people. After that, you have history of, of Israel's people. And uh, this is done, it seems from, it's written from an inside view. In other words, the person is there or the person is writing for the king or the chronicles for uh, is Israel's leadership or whatever. Okay, so they're there. The prophets speak with God directly, right? God speaks to the prophets. The prophets then speak to Israel and give the what the what the Almighty God has has given them. Um, and even within like the Psalms, right? We have uh, the Psalms uh, oftentimes are prophecy of what is coming. So David is in this relationship with God where he is actually giving prophecy of the coming seed through himself. Uh, you also have Solomon who um, who writes things like Ecclesiastes and or Proverbs. Well, I don't know how many have heard this, but we often say that you can't make halakha off of the Proverbs. What that means is that Proverbs is wisdom, but it's not giving commands necessarily. Anyway, with that said, all of this comes down to the idea of God speaking to people. Now we come into the apostolic scriptures. When we, when we, um, when we look at the writers of the apostolic scriptures, Basically what the church said, and I think that they're right in this, is that the people who wrote the scriptures needed to be either firsthand witnesses or needed to be um, like Luke would be the exception to that, but he is bringing together historical records from people who were eyewitnesses. By the time you get to the, to to the closing of the can canon, why did they say that the canon was closed? Because there was no one who was alive during the time that Yeshua was alive. In other words, there were no more eyewitnesses. There were no more eyewitnesses. There was no one who spoke face-to-face with God on earth. That is Yeshua. And so the idea that you're going to have people after the fact, um, now that the, you know, now that the temple's gone, now that it seems as though the prophecy is, you know, as Samuel says, prophecy was scarce in that day. Mm-hmm. You know, so now prophecy is scarce in this time. Um, the, the temple is done away with Yeshua has ascended and the people who walked with Yeshua and talked to him face to face are gone. That means that you have no more eyewitnesses thus. And basically they said the apostle, there are no more apostles. This is one of the reasons that, uh, the modern day evangelical church does not use the word apostles. Apostles are people that they say walked and talked with Christ. And so when you have people in the evangelical church who say, oh, I'm a, I'm apostle, you know, John Smith, uh, this is why a lot of evangelicals roll their eyes. They, they aren't understanding exactly, you know, I understand that apostle means sent one, but, um, but the idea that the apostle, like there are apostles today has been rejected by the church for years, for thousands of years. And so, anyway, that's why I would say that the, the biblical canon is closed, is because uh, the, the time of, of eyewitnesses and people who spoke with God face-to-face has passed. That's my belief. Rob? Yeah, I, I think those are really good points. I, I would, another aspect to it is canon, the idea of canon is not, I mean, we don't want to run too quickly through the first part of that question, which was, I understand the prophets and the Tanakh. We don't want to take that for granted either, because in the first century, like we were just talking about the book of Jubilees and Enoch and the Testaments of the patriarchs and the vision of Amram, right? And and the book of Levi, all these things that we find at Qumran, the temple scroll, kind of a rewriting of Deuteronomy. These were authoritative texts for that community. Right. So, and we could, we don't even have to go uh, that new. That's too new. We could go back to the times that the Samaritans split off. What about the people that rejected the Davidic kingdom? Mount Gerizim is where we're supposed to worship the God of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And all you people who went to Judea and built your, followed David, are went down the wrong line. So there, again, you have a dispute as to, in the world, a split as to what is God's word, 
who who carries the prophetic mantle right so we don't have to go to the establishment of the quote new testament to to say this is a new problem right it's not a new problem and so we have to look at yeshua's teaching and yeshua says the scribes and the pharisees sit in moses seat that has a lot of implications he doesn't say the scribes and the essenes he doesn't say the scribes and the sadducees he doesn't say the scribes and the samaritans Sad, or he says, uh, uh, Pharisees and scribes, and that's a clear tradition that includes Daniel, right? And the, and the prophets, Daniel read Jeremiah and interpreted Jeremiah. You know, the reason, it, it, and here's another example you could say, Well, Jerusalem's not mentioned in the Torah, but all it, all it says is the place that you know, Lord your God will choose, choose right? Well. So if I say Jerusalem is the place, I'm, I'm picking sides in a dispute already. I'm saying the Samaritans are wrong in their interpretation of the Torah. And I'm saying the line of David is right. You see what I mean? I'm already making a, 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 a something that's not evident, not spelled out in the written Torah, but I'm believing a prophetic tradition. And that's that's what we're up against. The cult of it. So when Yeshua says, "I will build my ecclesia," he's going to equip his people with what is complete and true and sufficient. And when when like Caleb was saying, on the, another aspect to this, when when all those who walked with Yeshua and whom Yeshua sent, he authorized them and sent them to teach. Right. And so when we have the right written accounts of the of the gospels and the letters and stuff, these. Were are are a function. They are the good, proper, appropriate fruit for the church, for the ecclesia, of Yeshua's sending. So when Yeshua says, "I will build my ecclesia," he knows he knows what he's doing, and he knows that it it's he knows that these that the his the body needs written material that's understood, um, and he gave the 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 marching orders, and. We have to realize, just like in the Jewish world, in the Christian world, we have splits. We have the Gospel of Thomas. Oh, is that should that be in the Bible? Or uh, the Gospel of Judas or Mary Magdalene, you know, and all this kind of stuff. No. <laughs> nope. There had to be, again, just like with the Samaritans and, and those choosing the following the Davidic line as authoritative. You know, it's the same thing. Okay, so, so 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 Paul, uh, Paul, our good friend Paul, in the chat room, says, "Why did?" And by the way, this question was asked to me last Shabbat when I was teaching. Um, so actually, not last Shabbat, the Shabbat before. Um, so, so Paul in the chat room says, "Why did some early Christian churches consider Maccabees Canon KJV sixteen eleven, but then then later remove?" Okay, and this is a a uh, misunderstanding of church history by I would say. <laughs> The majority of believers, um, the addition of the apocrypha and Maccabees included in that didn't happen until I believe it was the 1530s or 40s at the Council of Trent, which was the Counter Reformation. That is the Catholic Reformation or the Catholic response to the Reformation. That's how the that's what the Council of Trent was called to do was to basically say we got all these people jumping ship, we got all these people who are now heretics and uh, oppose the Pope. What do we do about this? And so they got together at the Council of Trent. At the Council of Trent, they decided this is the first time in history that we know of where the Apocrypha was deemed to be canon. It was the Catholic Church that deemed it to be canon. It was not the evangelicals. It was anybody else. So when you have all these messianics and these Hebrew readers who want to tell you that um, we should be list- that we should be listing the apocrypha within the um, within the biblical canon, uh, express surprise that they uh, hold to Roman Catholicism, because that's exactly what they're doing. I'm not joking. Um, so basically, in the 1500s is when the Council of Trent happens. The Council of Trent, the the Catholic Church, deems the apocrypha to be part of the canon. Why do they deem it to be part of the canon? I think that this, this is probably one of the most brilliant moves. Um, politically from the Catholic Church within the Reformation is the adding of the Apocrypha to the Scriptures. And why do I say that? I say that because as soon as they did that, as soon as the Council of Trent did that, people with, that uh, were within the, that held to Catholicism, they believe, and I don't know if people know this or not, but they believe that the Pope and the councils were authoritative. That is, that the, council, that the councils that got together 
were able to make church doctrine and were essentially the mouthpiece of God, along with the Pope. Now, the Pope, this is in, in, at the Fourth uh, Lateran Council in the 1200s is when the Pope really gained his power, but that's neither here nor there. That's a different piece of history. So the Council makes it law, according to the Church, that the Apocrypha is now part of the canon. What does this do to the Reformers? If you say that the Apocrypha is not part of the canon, which, by the way, was held by believers all the way before the 1500s, so for 1,500 years, the Apocrypha was not in your canon. If you now say that the Apocrypha is not part of the canon, you are going against councils, and you're going against Pope, which means you're going against God, and you're, you're going against the Scriptures. And this was a brilliant move by the, by the Catholic Church to basically get their people to lock in that the, uh, that the Reformers were heretics. In 1611, you have the Apocrypha added to the, uh, to the King James Version Bible. However, it's still placed in the back. Even though the uh, Council of Trent deemed it to be biblical canon, they still didn't know exactly what to do with it. They still didn't know where to put it. So they put it in the back of the 1611 Bible because that's where it's always gone. And that kind of showed, okay, these are important books, but they are not canon. They have never been put on the... And we see this in the lists, by the way, the lists of the canon of the New Testament that comes out. They, they attach them to the list of the entire 66-book canon, right? And there are all these books that are spurious right. or uh, disputed or uh, approved or accepted. It's almost like instead of Apocrypha, that'd be nice if it said um, Second Temple Jewish Literature. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? It's like as they learn, it's like, okay, so maybe we can learn. And, and we could include Philo and Josephus, you know. And that's essentially what scholars do now. I mean, if you if you... Well, if you're in the world of scholarship and history and you're a believer, you you simultaneously uphold the canon, but you also uphold the value for historical study and research, all these other documents. Right. Um, so the idea that the uh, evangelicals added the uh, added the, the, the Apocrypha and then took it out, it, it's simply not true. Evangelicals have never accepted the Apocrypha. It was a... It was a Roman Catholic power move. Here again is the, uh, back to the Holy Spirit. This ties back to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Do we believe that all the scripture, everything that is scripture is inspired men who are moved by the Holy Spirit? And if so, that means all the authors that contributed to, all the writers that contributed to the canon were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And it means that God, just like he did with uh, incarnation, he revealed himself in human forms, right? And language is in the world of men. Men were already writing things right. before, you know, when God gave the Torah at Mount Sinai. You know, when Isaiah wrote his prophecies or Jeremiah or any of the prophets or when Luke wrote the gospel or that he wrote or Paul wrote a letter, there were already people writing biographies and letters to each other, you know, in the world, at large. So you could say, okay, Paul's just, he's just writing a letter and we have all these other letters that people sent each other because people wrote letters all the time to each other. So what makes Paul's letters special? People wrote all sorts of biographies about people who seemed like a miracle worker or some sort of hero in the first century. Why are we picking these stories about Jesus that, and calling them important, right? That has to do with the, the Holy Spirit. Right. Um, Jose. Yeah, we have other laws. We have the laws of Hammurabi, right? And, or someone, Epic of Gilgamesh, you know. Right. Um, Jose in the chat room says, what's your guy's take on Eusebius in general? Yeah, Eusebius is, is difficult because a lot of people don't believe that he's actually writing full-on history, more that he's a novelist that is using history as his template. Um, now, that, that's been debated. And it seems like he gets some things right, but Eusebius gets some things very, very wrong. At the ETS and SBL meeting, um, actually, particularly at the SBL meeting, I brought up Eusebius one time um, in in the um, meals in the uh, Greco-Roman context. And uh, I wish I hadn't because I, it was almost as if people looked at me like, who's the... Uh, Who's the undergrad over here? You know, you kind of, I mean, that was kind of the, like, almost like, yeah, but, you, you know, and I was basically told, well, that can't, you know, we can't use 
somebody who's writing that much later to, to inform us on first century. And so that might be true. At the same time, Eusebius does have to be considered from time to time because he is, he, he is an early writer and uh, we need to try to, you know, if he states something and we can, we can collaborate it with other people like Philo and or Josephus, then it's another, then it's another witness. So um, those are, yeah, it's, but Eusebius is really hard to, to deal with. So uh, I want to be forward. I mean, we got plenty of time left, but this is a comment that we got. F. Musa is the one who left it. And I forget what video this was, uh, this was left on. But I, wanna, I, I want to uh, discuss this because I think this is a, this is a common belief within uh, that's coming these days. He says, uh, Messiah matters. If I want to be a polytheist, I convert to Hinduism. But we are, now all caps, believers in all caps, one God, not three. To make out three of the one true God is blasphemy. Okay, um, I think that this is a common mistake within uh, within theological understanding, that a belief in the Trinity doctrine is a belief in three gods. That's not the case at all. And I think, honestly, in a lot of my research on the Trinity, I think one of the things that people really get hung up on is the way that the early church used the word persons. Now, originally in the Nicene Creed, the first Nicene Creed uh, that was made at the Council of Nicaea, actually said that anyone who uses that says that God is more than one person is anathema. Okay, now at the Second Lateran Council, this is when the, or at the Second uh, Ecumenical Council, or Ecumenical Catholic Council, whatever you want to call it, at the Second Council, um, at Constantinople, they actually refine the language of the Nicene Creed. And, this, and the, if you look at the Nicene Creed today, this is actually not what was used at Nicaea. It was what, what was uh, decided on at Constantinople. And, and throughout this time period between the two councils, you have people starting to now refine and, and uh, define words that, uh, and they basically are really struggling with um, the Gnostics and how the Gnostics have used words. And so it's by this point that the, that the term person is now coming around and being used. I think that this has actually been one of the larger sources of confusion among us English speakers and just in general. So instead of answering this question using the word person, let's answer it this way. When we, when we look in the Bible, there is one God. I do not deny that. I do not try to teach other than that. I think that there is one God. There's only one God. We serve the God of Israel. He is one God. And we see this all throughout Scripture. Another thing that we see is that the Spirit of God comes and is God, but seems to work independently of other aspects of God. In other words, God the Father is said to have sent the Spirit. The Spirit dwells in uh, believers and is said to turn the hearts of believers to the Father. So this seems like it's independent. It's a working of independence from the Father. The Father sends, the Spirit works. Now, this is not to say that the Spirit is not God. It's just to say that, that the Spirit works independently, has independent action. That's what it seems like. In the same way, Yeshua comes, he is given the name of God. The actions of God, of the Father, are attributed to him, or the actions of God are attributed to him. He is worshipped as God is worshipped. He is said to have all reign and rule, as God does. And he says that he is, I am. So he claims to be God. Okay, so if he is God, which I believe he is, Yeshua is God. If Yeshua is God, then we can see the same thing as the Spirit. He comes on this earth and he has independent action from the Father. That's not to say that he's not God. It's to say that he has independent action, just as the Spirit has independent action. So you have Father, you have Son, and you have Holy Spirit. This is not three gods. It's all one God. But these, uh, these parts, or I, you don't want to say parts because uh, the fullness of deity dwells in all of them. In other words, the Spirit is fully and truly God. The Son is fully and truly God. The Father is fully and truly God. However, these three aspects of God work independently from the others. Now, that's not using the word person. 
That's not saying that they're different persons. It's saying that there is independent workings. And this is how I believe the scriptures present it. And I don't think you can get away from that. I don't think you can I, I don't think you can be honest with the Bible and say that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, as presented by the Word of God, don't present individual and independent action. And so I still would say that even within independent action, no matter what Yeshua does, the Son and the Father are participants in that action. So for instance, dying on the cross. Did the Father die on the cross? No. But the Father was happy to pour out his wrath on the Son. And did the Spirit have action in this? Of course, because the Spirit is, uh, is the love between the Father and the Son. It's also love between us. It also enables Yeshua to do the will of the Father. There's all, so all Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have to all be working in one action. So um, the idea that we believe in polytheism or that we believe in three gods, I think is a misunderstanding and maybe a misunderstanding of words, of language. But yeah, particularly if you go, if you looked into Hinduism or, or even ancient Roman uh, religion, they're seen as very distinct gods. And not only that, you have um, the the accumulation of more. For example, some Romans, once they learned about Isis from Egypt, they included Isis, right? Or they learn of some other deity. We know that uh, some, we have evidence of Romans that included <laughs> the God of Israel among their the gods they were worshiping because they were trying to cover all their, their different bases. Right. Um, so poly, that's what polytheism is. Yeah. So Jose says, and the, here's the problem with this debate is that we can only really say what the scriptures say. And to our minds, the scriptures may seem to contradict themselves. However, God is bigger and greater than our minds can comprehend. Jose says, I heard the analogy of the triunity of Elohim as how a man is a father, son, husband, brother, uncle, cousin, and so on. The problem with this is that this becomes modalism. And what modalism is for people who don't know is that God, the father, is the, the son and the spirit. And that basically what you have is, you know, uh, whenever you see Yeshua, it's really the father. He's just, just put, trading a mask. Yeah, he just, just put a new, he just put a new hat on. He put a new uniform on and it's the father. The problem with this is, is that you have major problems in that. I mean, even the son well, did the father die, did the father die on the cross. That's, I mean, that's one. And, and this is the big debate that comes within, within uh, church history is what's called patripassionism, which is, did the father die on the cross? The answer is no. And the reason why is because if the father, and I've explained this before, but I'll do it again really quickly. If the father died on the cross, all things would, would cease to be correct. Beyond that, if the father died on the cross, he didn't really die because everything didn't cease to be, which means there wasn't truly a death. And for for uh, for there to be, and actually, this gets into what is death. But anyway, for there to be a true payment for sin, there has to be a true death. One can't pretend to die and pay for sins. One has to die to pay for sins, and this is why Yeshua lowers himself and comes in the form of a human, so that he can actually go through death and pay the price for us. So. Um, yeah, a lot of the analogies that are that are used um, tend to fall short in many different ways. There are some really good ones. You know, I've heard the water, ice, steam thing before. Uh, this is human a human brain attempting to understand the infinitely holy and infinitely infinite God. Um, and I don't think that that's possible. Yeah. So, again, this is this is we're dealing with revelation of who God is. And we're left with what Yeshua says uh, that Matthew records, you know, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son right. and of the Holy Spirit. Exactly. It's one name. Yeah. He said name of. It's not name of the Father and the name of the Son and the name of the Holy Spirit. So, I, you know, this last week, a lot of the time, I work a lot. I work a ton. Um, and I'm constantly in theology and I'm constantly trying to figure out 
how we can do things better for growing a Messiah and stuff like that. And so my, my work days have been very large because at the end of the day, I put my kids to bed and then I work for two or three hours to try to get, you know, get the stuff done. Because of that, one of the things that I've tried to do is find things that relax my, my brain, where my brain is still working, but it's not on theology. And so I've done multiple different things. I've learned lock picking, which is uh, very therapeutic. And I've also, this last week, I decided to do a Rubik's Cube. And nice. yeah, so I finally, I almost posted a video on, anyway, um, I, I tried to figure out a Rubik's Cube. I was going somewhere with this and I think I've almost lost my train of thought. Basically, um, uh, man, no, I've lost it. Good gracious. I set it all up and now I've lost it. I'm so sorry. Maybe it'll come back to me. Well, you were talking about how you have been. Well, does it have to do with the modalism? It was yeah, it, yeah, it has. I mean, it has to do with it had to do with just the idea of, of trying to have the concept of God. Like our brains just we're, we're humans. We can't. And I forget how I was going to tie that in. It, it was a good analogy. I'll tell you all that. You'll have to wait. I'll, It'll as come soon back. As, as soon as we go, come off air, I'll remember it, and then I'll write it down, and I'll tell you next, <laughs> next week. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, should we do one more? We got a couple minutes sure. left. Sure, yeah, yeah. Let's do one more. Okay. Well, this one ties in, but I'm not exactly sure what this person was asking. So let's just... Let's just run with it. How do you know that there are 66 books? So we already talked about canon. And okay, that's a question mark, so end question, I would assume. And Jesus rejects salvation by faith alone and once saved, always saved over and over again. Okay. And then then one question. So now you've asked a question about the 66 book canon, you've made a statement and now there's one question. So I'm not sure what question this person wants us to answer. Anyway, one question. Do you need to avoid sexual sins so that God does not send you to hell? Yes or no? I love it when people try to give you a less yes or no. So this was all in one? This is all in one. Oh, he keeps going. Wow. Or okay. she, he or she keeps going. If you doubted to answer this simple question, you just have gazed how terribly wrong salvation by faith alone doctrine is. Read Matthew 5, 29 through 30 and 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 9 through 10. Yep, Luther was so wrong when he wrote that a Christian could commit adultery thousands of times without losing salvation. Okay, first of all, hang on, wait, let's stop right here. Now, I don't know, this person doesn't give a quote, like where Luther said this. Now, I, I went looking. I went looking for where Luther said you could commit adultery thousands of times, and I could not find it. I don't think Luther said this. I think this is a misunderstanding or a misquote from this person. With that said, Luther is the person who came up with the word antinomianism. He coined that phrase. He coined that word. Anti against nomianism. Law. The idea that Luther said we didn't have to keep law is simply false. It is wrong. In fact, he wrote against antinomianism. He wrote against people who said, rely, rely and relax. Basically, Luther was all about sanctification. And the idea, does, do you need to avoid sexual sins so that God does not send you to hell? From our perspective, yes, of course, we're sanctified unto God. We want to do what the Lord wants us to do. You've got to be careful, because if you remember that the gospels preserve the story of the the young ruler that comes what what good thing do i need to do so i can have eternal life right in other words he's thinking about yeah. inheritance in good. in the resurrection by yeah. based on his works yeah exactly and yeshua says okay so he throws him a little tosses him a pitch you, yeshua you know takes it back to the heart go do all the commandments he's right. like well i've done all these right and so then he's just like okay I need to get to the heart of the matter with this. So I'm going to throw him a, a ripping hundred mile speedball right down the middle, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and follow me and right. you'll have eternal life. Yes. I can't do that. Okay. That's the issue. So what is faith? If faith is just, if, if I limit my definition to faith being, Oh, I, I intellectually, I, I the proposition, Jesus is Lord. I accept that proposition. As, a, as an idea, unattached to my life. And I'm going to say, I can't do that 
that that's not a ticket into heaven. I agree. You, that's that's not what faith is, though. Faith, you have to go back to Hebrews. What is faith? And what does faith produce? That's right. what you got to know. If you have genuine faith, then you are saved. That's why they call it saving faith, because they're trying to clarify that it's not just somebody who's outwardly going to church. Right. Or just giving, because, and this problem is not, quote, New Testament problem. Why, why did Yeshua say to the Pharisees, he cites Isaiah to them. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So if you translate faith as just honoring God with your lips, then yeah, God's not interested in that. Right. The Father was only interested in those who worship him in spirit and truth. And this goes and back that's to- when we say faith, that's what we mean. Yeah, and, and this this is this also goes back to our discussion on faithfulness or allegiance. We talked about allegiance, right? And and yeah, we had a couple. Yeah, we talked about people, it. People um, really did is not it Matthew Bates' book uh, yeah. Allegiance, Faith by Allegiance. No, and, Salvation by Allegiance. And, alone. and people really did not like our take on that. We got I mean, that was last. That was in the summer, maybe. I, yeah. I remember we but, did that. But ultimately. This goes back to the, I mean, whoever wrote the the, the comments on our YouTube um, channel didn't, it, uh, hasn't really done their homework on what we believe or um, ha- I don't think really has done uh, their due diligence in terms of what the Bible says. We are saved by faith alone. They're, they're thinking, they've, they've, they have an insufficient definition of faith. faith exactly. They have a weak, it's like their definition of faith is so theologically weak and, and, well, I, I would, I would, I would say any interpretation. If they're maintaining such a limited and weak definition of faith, that any interpretation they come up with about the Bible is suspect. Well, and not only that, but I love it how this person says, "Yep, Luther was so wrong when he wrote that a Christian could commit adultery thousands of times without losing salvation," which I think is a misquote. Right? I don't think Luther ever said that. He, and then they accuse. He was a satanic liar, a false teacher. But you're the one who just misquoted him. So, yeah. So if anybody can find, where did Luther say this, supposedly? I've heard it before, Luther said this. Okay, yeah. And, and, and can we just, you know, look, I love the people who write into us. I really do. And I, I, I like the people who, who leave comments on our YouTube channel as well. Because it gives us a lot to talk about. So I don't want to down anyone. But if you, just th- something to put in the back of your head. If you're going to write in, if you're going to shoot an email or something like that, and you're going you're gonna to cite something, please give us a reference. Because it helps us be able to say, okay, let's look at the, the quote. You know, when somebody just says, oh, this person said this, it makes it very difficult. Because how are we supposed to respond to that? Anyway. Okay, uh, good good discussion. Uh, we got a lot left to talk about, actually. We have several things. Uh, yeah, we have actually Matt from Michigan has another comment that we could uh, talk about. And then um, we have uh, just some guy responded. Actually, should we do this real quick? Because this is, let's just respond to this real quick. Fantastic show. Follow-up question. To make sure I understand uh, your answer, yes and no, correctly. Paraphrasing your statement, Yeshua's sacrifice covered spiritual positioning in heaven, but physical positional clean, uh, cleanness to approach the earthly temple in the future must still be addressed with animal and mikvahs. This is why we can be corpse defiled and continually unclean, yet positionally righteous. With that in mind, is there any earthly sacrifice that Yeshua actually took pl- the place of that would be done away with? I'm thinking the answer will be just no. So yes, you've understood our position correctly on earthly sacrifices in the future temple. And no, I don't think that there is an earthly sacrifice that Yeshua took the place of. Not one that comes Here's to an mind. example. He says, I will not, I, will there be a Passover lamb in the future? All right. That's the question. I, well, Yeshua says, I will not drink of this cup, of the, which seems to be a Passover. That I'll, I'll hand this over to Caleb, who's done extensive research on the meals and the the Last Supper. But it seems that Yeshua is saying there's going to be a, a, another Passover where he participates in. And so the question is, will there be a lamb at that Passover? Yeah, and, and I, when he says, I will not eat of it, what is it? I argue in a paper that's unreleased <laughs> still, 
that it is the Passover sacrifice. This is actually debated among scholars quite a bit. Some people say that Yeshua didn't have a Passover sacrifice at, at the Last Supper. Uh, if this is the case and the Last Supper was, in fact, a Passover meal, then that would be sin. Because God commands there to be a Passover lamb. At and they the have pa- to eat it. Yeah. And they have yeah. to eat it. So, in fact, uh, what's his name? I forget anyway. Argues that there was a Passover meal, but Yeshua fasted. Once again, I would argue that this would be a sinful act. Because it says, and you shall eat of it. And you shall eat it before the sun goes up. Yeah, people have all sorts of ideas that are really interesting. Okay. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much. We hope that this conversation has uh, done at least one thing, and that is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. You know why? That's right, because Messiah matters. 